Welcome to Lymphedema Podcast. I'm Betty Westbrook, a certified lymphedema therapist and the voice behind Lymphedema Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to provide answers and explanations for people affected by the lymphatic disease, lymphedema. This podcast is for patients, family members, medical professionals, and anyone interested in lymphedema. Each month, I will discuss a new topic related to this disease to help you learn more and navigate better your journey ahead. Between shows, you can catch me on IGTV or Instagram TV, as well as monthly live Q&A sessions. I'm so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I created this podcast just for you. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Disclaimer, as a certified lymphedema therapist, all information provided is based on my professional experiences and education. I recommend that anyone who feels they have lymphedema or have been medically diagnosed with lymphedema seek in-person medical treatment from a certified lymphedema therapist. Welcome back to episode 95, part two of Lymphedema Podcast. My guest, A.D. McKenzie, and I are finishing up our conversation about emotional wellness, and you finally get to hear my little breakdown that happened on the podcast a few weeks ago. I really hope you're enjoying this very important conversation about CLTs and caregivers making time and space for their own emotional wellness so that we can care best for those who rely on us. Thanks for being here, and I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Lymphedema Podcast is made possible by the support of Eros Medical, Bryland's Feet Foundation, Dr. Jenna Wishnu at Lamb Vascular & Associates, Juzo Compression, MediUSA, and the National Lymphedema Network. For more information and to browse previous episodes, visit the Lymphedema Podcast website. You know, and it's hard not to love someone who loves you. Mm-hmm. As the helper, you know, we are, I described, I was in a zoom call earlier this morning and I describe it as when patients have lymphedema, it's like their house is on fire, but they don't know what a fire truck is. And I'm over here just like driving my fire truck around looking for houses. And it's hard for someone to not love someone back when they appreciate you so much, you know, when they tell you, you're an angel. You've saved my life. I couldn't, yeah. you know, I can't, can't imagine where I'd be without you. How do you look at them and go see you tomorrow at the same time? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, I, I came to a certain point years ago where I just said, you know, I don't want that. I want the intimacy that I get from these therapeutic relationships, which don't always become long and ongoing, but often do. Um, and I, especially now, you know, people will often find me on the internet. They will tell me that they think they have lymphedema, that, you know, it, they will describe a situation where they need primary initial evaluation and treatment. And then my um, sense of community services, I need to help them hook up with the right setting to use their medical benefits and get that treatment, but then see me for maintenance afterwards if they feel that maintenance is within their budget and um, something they want. So, you know, I, I guess I court that kind of relationship and I have, you know, years and years, I've got people I've been seeing for, for, for general massage, I've got people I've been seeing for 30 years for 
um, lymphatic massage and, and lymphedema therapy. I've got people I've been seeing for 10 years. So practically since I became a CLT. That's amazing. I think, and I think that is truly admirable to have that relationship when it speaks to your skill set and your ability that, I mean, when you find a provider that you like, you stick with them. You don't switch it up. It's kind of like hairstylist. When you find that hairstylist you like, if they move salons, you move salons. (laughs) And so, um, I just think that that speaks to your skill set and your heart as a therapist as well. So I think that's amazing. Well, thank you. I, and, and I, I, I hope so, but I, I also think that, you know, there are responsibilities that come with that. Um, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have surgery in December and so I'll be off for five weeks because I myself am a breast cancer survivor. And so I have some touch-ups to my reconstruction that need to happen. And, um, you know, it's really on me to make sure that my people know I'm going to be unavailable to make sure that they have, if they're, um, I have some folks who really need that intervention on a regular basis, make sure they have some options. Um, so, you know, there, there are, uh, responsibilities that, um, require me to do things that are sort of outside my, my realm of what I'm getting paid for, except I consider it part of what I have to do to continue getting paid. Is that in your private or also in your clinical practice or both? Both, both. Yeah. Make sure people are aware and then try to strategize with them for what they can do to take care in the meantime. I think that circles back a little bit to mentorship that I know when I was in clinic, I was the only CLT and I try really, really hard not to, she's not listening because she hates my guts, my old supervising therapist, but I try not to talk about it too much because she was the super, she was the supervising PT. She did evals and discharge and I did everything in between. And so if I Uh had to take time off, she may or may not have continued with evals, but she sure didn't do any treatment. And so if uh, I had a full caseload of 10 or 12 patients going, that's 10 or 12 people that were going to be without care for a week at least. And I know that they would have a setback and I would feel so guilty about taking the time off. And I would just, you know, ask her, could you take a patient? Can you see this one? This isn't really important. And she was also the manager. And so her schedule didn't allow her to have a caseload like that. And the burden that I felt trying to schedule them or trying to come in late or trying to come in early or trying to squeeze them in because, you know, I couldn't then get those 10 back in at the same time the next week. That was a lot. And I, until you just mentioned that I didn't, I haven't thought about that in a really long time, but if you especially have a private practice And, you know, maybe you're in a rural area or maybe you're the only one for a couple hours. Like there isn't anyone else unless you're mentoring someone and you're building into someone, your skill set, because, you know, our hands can only do so much. And I even say that our, our treatment is kind of like our signature. You wouldn't write your name the way I write my name and I couldn't write your name the way you write your name. And so even our hands work 
so uniquely that we can't completely imprint ourselves onto someone else to do what we do. Um, and the responsibility of that is really great. It is really hard to find that time. And even though, you know, you're telling yourself, I'm going to take a vacation this year, or I'm going to travel more, or I'm just going to take some time off to do laundry and organize my house or whatever it is that you want to do that, (laughs) you know, neglected. It's hard to do, make yourself do that when you feel that responsibility and dedication to your patients. Yeah. Yeah. So finding that balance so that you're, you're taking care of yourself because what you just described, you know, the staying late to get an extra patient in and stuff. I, I do that a lot too. Um, and then I have to sit down and think about, well, how does that affect my husband? You know, how does that affect um, my dog? You know, just um, my, my mom, who I'm going to Zoom with later today. Uh, how, you know, how do those things affect all the other responsibilities that we have? And how do we manage the stress of that? You know, where do we find our, um, our balance? And so, you know, exercise, meditation, or some, some sort of mindful practice. Um, you know, I think those things are so critical and working here in an integrative health clinic really helps me keep alert to that because it's, it's, it's the conversation. And, um, so I'm just, I'm very fortunate in in having my dual settings, That's good to know. And you're talking about like a mindful practice. Um, I could have had more time. I think back to before my son was born, I was like, I had a lot of time. Now I have no time. What was I thinking when I was telling myself I was so busy, (laughs) but um, I was fortunate enough that my hospital uh, campus is pretty and it's, you know, kind of in a small big town or whatever you want to call it in the South. And so there's a walking trail and a little Creek. And I I would find myself often just taking my lunch and I would pack something that was mobile and I would have to go for a walk, get some sunshine. So maybe a couple of things to implement. If you have the ability, um, just get outside. My husband used to work in a radio station that had no windows except for the front door. Uh, was a glass door and you could see in, but there were no windows and especially not in his office. So we used to have this joke that he would go on a sunshine break. And so, um, every hour and a half or so he'd get outside and just like, I'm going to my truck for a pencil (laughs) or something ridiculous. I'm going to go grab some gum out of my truck. You know, it's just a five minute here and there sunshine break so that you can take a breath of fresh air, you can get a little vitamin D and just breathe for a second. And my clinic also had no windows. Um, and so that was really depressing at times, especially time changes coming up, you would go in and it was dark, you would leave and it was dark and it was hard to handle. In addition to sunshine breaks, I think like a gratitude list, um, and just playing some positive thoughts and appreciations over in your mind are helpful. Um, because while you feel very bad for your patients, while you carry that burden of being their provider, there's also a lot to still be thankful for, you know, the, the ability to improve the amount of time that they have left. If they are 
fighting a terminal illness or something, you know, you are giving them relief. Um, I'll talk about my meltdown in a second. Um, and I talk about Luann quite a bit. Um, and she taught me so much about how to care for patients, um, in, in many different ways. And what I always think about in like, in a way of gratitude is that, um, she was homebound. She, you know, wasn't very ambulatory. She was overweight, but her legs were just so large that she had a really difficult time with walking. And that was really what increased her weight and her size and all these things that were part of the domino effect. But what I gave her and, you know, I would usually not ever take credit for this. And she would tell me all the time, like, you gave me this opportunity. You gave me this memory is that she was able to go and be present at her daughter's college graduation. And that she walked on a rollating walker. She wasn't pushed in a wheelchair. She walked on her rollator. Um, and she, her daughter has, um, some cognitive delays. And so, you know, she graduated from a junior college and it took her longer to get her degree there. And they really always encouraged her to pursue her education, but her daughter would always say like, I I won't go to graduation, mom. I'll just, we'll just do something here at the house for you. And when they let her have that experience by walking the stage and having the cap and gown on top of her mom being physically present and able to walk, like, that's a really beautiful thing that I can look back and say, you know, even though, you know, Luann is no longer here and she did end up having really difficult times with lymphedema in the end. Um, that's something that her daughter now has that memory of, and that's special to her that she gets to keep in her heart. And so that's like a thing of gratitude that I try to think of whenever I really kind of spiral into some of those emotions that are heavy and and not that it's like a dark place, but it's just this really heavy responsibility of feeling like I want to give everybody that opportunity. I want to help all the people, but we can't help everyone. And it's just better to remember the positives of some of those patients that we have had than to feel like we are the end all be all. And, you know, once they stop seeing us, they're going to just, you know, not do anything. And we can't really let ourselves go to those negative thoughts. I think it's hard whenever you know how the progression of lymphedema works. I think though that you just pointed out, you know, such an important factor that whether or not we can, like, we can't cure lymphedema. We can't necessarily um, help our patients to have a minimal um, experience of it. But if we can improve their quality of life, if we can be a conduit to that improved quality of life, I mean, to me, that's, that's, the, the thing that's yeah. the ultimate goal. It's not, my ultimate goal is not volume reduction. My right. ultimate goal is how can you manage this condition and still have the life that you want? Yeah. Um, even if it, if it doesn't look exactly like what you like it, want it to look like, how can we get you as close as possible? And, um, you know, for example, I had a guy who came to me with, um, lower extremity lymphedema after prostate cancer, and he had been a, um, competitive bicyclist. And he was like, I, I am not going to give up those competitive bike races. I'm going to push my bike uphill. 
So how can we mitigate the risk to your lower extremities? Um, how can we keep your legs under control as best as possible and let you push that bike uphill? And, and we achieved it, you know? And so his quality of life was drastically improved. He still had lymphedema. Yeah. I think that's so important that the lymphedema isn't something we're going to cure, but we can improve that quality of life. Eris Medical is a medical device engineer and manufacturer specializing in compression therapy. The company's line of advanced, easy-to-use compression devices and multi-chambered garments improve quality of life for patients living with lymphedema and venous insufficiency, including patients recovering from breast cancer surgery and treatment. Learn more about Eros's product line and the conditions they treat at www.erosmedical.com. Eros Medical, making compression therapy bearable. Yeah. I'm going to switch directions a little bit, but we were just kind of talking about, you know, kind of expectations, especially um, if you work in a clinical setting, I want to talk a little bit, you know, we have to turn off our human nature sometimes uh, for what seems like the betterment of, you know, your medical institution. If you work in a hospital-based, if you work in a nursing home, um, any skilled nursing facility or rehab like that, they run off of payer resources and they track our success uh, by units and productivity. And there's a lot of times that that stuff doesn't quantify what we do. You know, the amount of time spent with the lymphedema patient um, is often longer than what the scheduler wants to allow for that one hour block. Um, or why can't you double them up? Everyone else is doubling up patients and, you know, all these things that we kind of have to fight and not often do those metrics reflect our value. Um, and so we have to hurry them out of the door. You only have an hour. You can't share too much. You can't get too close. We just right. got to do treatment. Um, and so I'm going to talk about my meltdown. Um, yeah. And just how those metrics, you know, they're often needed, but they don't boost morale. And, and by needed, I mean, for the medical institution to make their money. Um, and more times than not, this leads to frustration, exhaustion, burnout. I know that I was feeling burnt out within my first two years of being mm -hmm. a CLT. Um, and conversations with HR, conversations with management, it really didn't help any. Um, and I'm now removed. I don't work in that facility, that clinic anymore, but they're still having the same problems. They're still having the same arguments with HR. They're still having the same monthly office meetings. And I just felt like I was bashing my head into a wall in yeah. every meeting. So I was like, we are telling you we're tired. We need more resources. Um, but you're just telling us, you know, move them out, do it, do as much documentation, see as many patients. Um, and that's just not good for our emotional health either and our professional judgment. I think I want to talk about my friend Luann. So she passed away last October, ironic or unfortunate or planned. I don't know how it goes. Um, I wasn't part of the like funeral planning, obviously, um, but her funeral fell on her birthday. So wow. that was uh quite coincidental, maybe planned, um, because it was a, a bit longer delay between, um, when she died and when she was buried. 
I hadn't seen her in a couple months. Um, I saw her right before the pandemic. I was pregnant when I saw her last. And I remember her saying, I can't wait till you get back from DC and we're going to plan for this baby shower. Like we can't wait to meet Holt. I mean, all these things. So she had, and her family had grown very attached. Um, and when she died last year, you know, smack dab in the middle of this pandemic, I wasn't sure if I was going back to work, um, in the clinic and I was home with a four month old, totally sleep deprived. So the only thing I knew to do was I could go to her funeral. I could hug her family and just honor her in the only way I knew how, which at that time was, I made, I wrote a podcast. So episode 54, it's the lessons that I learned from Luann, you know, when I had emotions or when I thought back to my time with her, I just kind of moved past it. And I was like, you know, she's gone, just gotta keep going. And so that was until this last interview I recently did. And I'm going to play this clip for you. And I want you to just, it's only two minutes, so it won't take too much time out of the podcast here, but I want to acknowledge a few things um, that kind of happen. You know, I want to call everybody that I treated 25 years and go and go, Hey, we can do a better job, you know? <laughs> um, so, but, uh, I think that's something that sticks with us as lymphedema therapists. I was in a webinar preparing for the NLN conference and someone was asking a question and, and the uh, faculty was saying, you know, if you can get them back in, go over these two or three things. And she said, oh no, she said, I haven't seen this patient in 10 or 12 years, but this is something that I, I've never gotten out of my mind. You know, why couldn't we get decongestion? Why couldn't we get that scar to move? Why couldn't we get X, Y, Z? And she's like, I'm, you know, I just feel like there's patients who stick with you. Um, I'm going to cry. So I'm going to try to not tomorrow is, oh my gosh, this wasn't supposed to happen. Tomorrow's the anniversary. <laughs> edit this out. <laughs> I may leave it. Tomorrow's the anniversary of one of my first patients who passed away. Um, after lymphedema, it's the one year anniversary. And I always think, what could I have done better for her? And I think this could have been something um, wearable that she would have had better quality of life and enjoyed more time with her daughter. Um, <laughs> so I think as CLTs, we're always looking toward that next thing, like what is going to help our patients? So um, now that I'm done crying, I'm sorry. Um, I just realized it on right above no, buddy, my head uh, on the calendar. Thanks for thanks for sharing. I know it's not easy, and you know, I think where this is coming from for you and what you're doing and highlighting. I mean, kudos to you. The world needs more citizens like you. Thank you. Um, okay, day spring. <laughs> Let's jump into this product because I want to talk about the details of it. We've talked about a pump that we cut the strings on. There's no cords attached and it's a wearable compression. Did you hear at the end where I jumped right back into topic? Yeah. You can't see it because it's audio today, but in the zoom, I am smiling and I kind of look embarrassed and I just say, okay. Let's get back to day spring. Let's get back to the topic at hand. And I feel like that is an example of what we do so often when we have emotions. I was trying so hard not to full on cry because I just felt this rush of emotion and grief 
over remembering that it was the one year anniversary of her passing that it took me by surprise, but I was like, Betty, you have to keep going. You're at work right now. You don't have time to be a human. And how many times have we felt that as clinicians, either in treatment with a patient, we don't want to show emotion to our patient and let them know, you know, we feel bad or we feel sorry for their situation and, and not out of pity, but out of human nature, you know, how many times do we try to shove that emotion down and then maybe you scurry off to your office. Or like I told you earlier, I would just at lunch, go cry in my car sometimes if I was so overwhelmed with emotion from the day, but I couldn't share it with coworkers. I didn't feel like, you know, I could let that burden out because it was kind of something private the patient had shared. Um, but I, I feel like people who are going to listen to this episode can relate to feeling like they have to shove down that emotion and just move yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, you know, on a practical level, we do have to do that. I've certainly sat and cried with clients. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that comes back to that thing about how, how emotionally disconnected are we actually expected to be? Yeah. You know, there's a certain amount that, that is practical that we are going to have to deal with. And I thought you handled beautifully. You were genuinely moved and I've had similar situations. Um, so, so I completely, you know, related to that so much, but, um, but then finding the time where you can allow yourself that emotional release and whether it has to be, you know, related to that specific incident or whether it's just, um, things, moments where you can let yourself go. Um, so having times outside of clinical care where, where maybe it is appropriate to just go ahead and, and let go. I mean, I guess that gets into a, a psychology level that I'm, I don't know about, but that's outside my scope of practice, but it, it does seem like stuffed emotions are known to be damaging to us. So got to find yeah. somewhere for them to go. Got to let them out, let it go. Yep. Elsa says. Yep. So we're going to wrap up here shortly. I'm just wondering, do you, with your years of experience, do you have any additional suggestions alleviate some of the pressure of our emotional buildup? You know, we've, we've talked about so many different things, but if you're having just a moment where it feels overwhelming, I think um, stopping and focusing on breath is like the most primal thing that we can do to try to shift gears for, for lack of a better description. But I, I, you know, I, as I said, I've been, I've been known to do a therapy session in tears and um, just stop to blow my nose every now and then. Mine is similar. I was going to say, um, you know, take a breath. I would say if you can find sunshine, if you're, if you're able to step outside for a moment, um, I would sometimes go out and just try to like face towards the sun and just kind of feel the sunshine on my skin, take a deep breath, maybe two, maybe three, you know, whatever mm -hmm. I needed to do to maybe <clears throat> gather my composure and then just think, okay, I can help them in this moment the best way I can. And that is by 
going back in there and finishing, you know, or throughout my day, providing that manual treatment, providing my lymphedema therapy to those patients who need me. And so if I was at work, that was kind of something I would do. Um, if I was at home, I'd usually put on some music really loud and like do a couple squats or something, (laughs) try to get some of that energy out. Um, but I think it's very clear that we need to acknowledge our emotional buildup, I think of the burden and responsibility we have as medical providers and helpers, um, to our community and that we have to take care of ourselves the way that we tell our patients to take care of themselves. So, and we probably need to take our own advice is what I'm thinking <laughs> is the, uh, the is the summary of today's episode. All right, 80. Well, our time is up and I do greatly appreciate you joining me today. Um, and just being so helpful. Um, one to your community, to the patient's that you get to serve you having 30 years of continual therapy, you know, massage therapy with some patients and 10 as a lymphedema therapist, um, I think just speaks volumes to your skill set and what you provide to them. So thank you for what you do there. And then thank you for, um, volunteering to be a part of the podcast today. Um, mentorship and just community as a therapist, I think is so very helpful. Um, So I appreciate you taking the time to share your experience and wisdom um, with the other therapists and caretakers who are going to listen to this episode too. I'm really so excited about this podcast. I'm so glad you're doing it. There was a need and you filled it. Mother Teresa says loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you enjoyed learning more about the emotional wellness of caretakers and lymphedema therapists today. Email me with your story if you would like to share lymphedemapodcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode.